0: How y'all doing doing well doing well we are continuing our look at the parables of jesus uh, last week we looked in luke's gospel account at the parable of the minas uh, which we said bore uh, some similarities to the parable of the talents uh, which is found in matthew chapter 25 but we tried to draw certain distinctions, because uh, while there are similarities, there are uh, grand differences uh, between them. Tonight, I want us to go to Matthew 25, but we're not gonna look at the parable of the talents. We're going to be looking at uh, the parable that Jesus gives following the parable of the talents about the judgment. Matthew chapter 25, I want us to look at verses 31 through 46. I wanted to to pull this out to be totally honest when I when I when I was started to prepare I said well I talked about the minas last week I'll talk about the talents this week but I wasn't led to stay with the talents I was led to deal with this parable instead because I think we've made enough distinctions between the parable we discussed last week and the parable on the talents. However, I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about uh, the parable that we're going to discuss tonight. One of the misunderstandings is the mistaken belief that somehow what you do is going to determine whether or not you go to heaven. I want us to be abundantly clear on something. We do not merit heaven. Nobody merits heaven. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, the cost of sin, penalty for sin, the price for sin is death. But the gift, that's what Paul says, the gift of God is eternal life. If it's a gift, you didn't earn it. Okay? So, 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 and and there are other scriptures that I can use to make, to make the same point, but It's very important that we understand no one merits heaven. I don't care who they are, I don't care how close to you they are, I don't care how pristine you think they are, I don't care if it's your mama, I don't care if it's your daddy, I don't care if it's your pastor, I don't care if it's your spouse, I don't care if it's your child. Nobody, nobody, merits heaven. And if you read this passage and you read it with misunderstanding, you walk away with the belief that you merit heaven. Because the parable talks about those who were kind and compassionate and loving and giving. And it says, come in. And those that were not kind, nor compassionate, nor giving, nor loving, they were told, go out. And so based on that, and based upon a surface reading of that, you will walk away from this parable with the belief that somehow or other, in spite of everything I just said about the fact that nobody merits heaven, you'll you'll walk away with the belief that somehow I can merit heaven. I want to dispel that myth. In point of fact, the emphasis uh, of this parable is not about heaven and hell. The emphasis of this parable is about service. And specifically, Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He is saying, if you don't get anything else, if you got to get up and go, if, you, if, if something's coming on TV, doesn't Empire come on tonight? If, if, if y'all got to get home to watch Empire so that you miss the rest of what I say. Get this. Jesus wants us to understand that service to one another is key in distinguishing authentic Christians from superficial professors. Thus, the point of the parable is not heaven. The point of the parable is authenticity, evidenced by service. This is consistent with what Jesus says in other places. Jesus is nearing the end of his life as he gives this parable, as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 25. He, he's in the final week of his life before his crucifixion is taking place. And so he is heightening and reemphasizing teachings that he has given in previous places. This is not the only place where Jesus talks about service. He talks about the fact that we should do to others as we would have them do to us. That's teaching about service. He talks about on the night before his crucifixion, as I have loved you, so should you love one another. That's talking about service. He talks about the one who would be greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who makes himself the servant of all. Clearly, that's talking about service. Well, in the same way, Matthew 25, 31 through 46 is about Service, And he's emphasizing that to the disciples because he does not want them to walk away from him and his earthly presence with them without understanding the the, the primacy of serving one another. You can't serve God if you're unwilling to serve one another. You simply can't do it. John. The, 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 the apostle who writes five of our New Testament books. He writes John's gospel, he writes three epistles, and he writes the revelation. John writes in, I believe it's First John, uh, How can you say that you love God, whom you have never seen, and you hate your brother, whom you see every day? John got the point. It's important that we get the point. The point is, you are engaged in a fantasy. You are fooling yourselves. If you think that you can love God and not love your fellow man. And I ain't just talking about some of your fellow man. I ain't just talking about a select few of your fellow man. You have to love everybody. Now, let's get straight about a couple of things. Loving everybody does not mean liking everybody. I used to say all the time that uh, love is not the superlative of like. They, 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 They are two entirely different things. There are a whole lot of folk I don't like, and I ain't got no problem with not liking them. Now, I'm speaking, I ain't speaking for nobody but me. Y'all gonna listen to this on the Thrive Podcast. I ain't speaking for nobody but me. There are a whole lot of folk that I don't like. And I ain't got no problem not liking them. I don't like President Trump. Don't like him. You mean you don't like his politics? No. I, I know what I mean. I don't like him, okay? I don't like Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader. I, I, I it, it, it's not his conservative perspective. I don't like him. There's some local folk, I ain't got to go to Washington. There's some local folk, I don't, I could, but I ain't question was asked, do I care to name them? I could, but I ain't. But, but, but I, I, I don't like them. I don't like their duplicity. I don't like their hypocrisy. I, I, I don't like their meanness. I don't like the way they utilize the power that has been entrusted to them in order to uh, misuse and abuse certain classes of people. I don't like them. And I am not required by Scripture to like them. What I am required to do, if I'm a Christian, if I love the Lord, I have to love them. So let me elaborate a little bit more on the distinctions between like and love. Love means I don't wish anybody any harm. I have goodwill toward all. I have. I don't like President Trump, but I I, I have goodwill toward President Trump. I have goodwill toward Senator McConnell. I have goodwill toward all them local folk who shall remain nameless. I, I, I have goodwill towards. I, I, I don't want anything to happen to them. I'm not praying for any tragedy to befall upon them or their family. In fact, what I'm praying for is that they might be converted. That that the Lord might move in such a powerful way upon their hearts as to change the way that they utilize the trust and the authority that has been placed. In their care until that change takes place I love them but I don't like them not only do I not like them I'm actively opposing them in every way that I possibly can I am actively opposing them because I believe that what they are trying to do is not in the best interests of all people including themselves. So you can not like folk. You can oppose folk. What you can't do is hate folk. And if you don't love them, you hate them. I, I, I know that in some religious circles we like a middle ground you know, Roman Catholics say it's more than just heaven and hell, there's a purgatory. Well, we ain't Roman Catholic. We good old Baptist folk. Ain't no middle ground. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And when it comes to, 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 to how you feel about people, either you love them or you hate them. Well, I don't hate them, but I don't love them well, you No. Know. You just contradicted yourself. It's one or the other. And you can't serve people that you hate. You simply can't do it. And since service is what Jesus came to teach us, since that's what he came to do and that's what he wants us to do, then if we are to be disciples of Christ, then we must make service rule number one. And you're going to say, no, rule number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Service is tied into that. How can you say that you love folk that you won't serve? Let me ask you a a quick question. In the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan, do you really think that the priest and the Levite who, who looked at the man lying there dying in the road and walked over him and kept on going, do you really think they loved him? You ain't got no problem saying that, right? But you got a problem with folk that you look over and folk that you step over, and folk that you do nothing for. I'm not crazy. I recognize that we have limitations based upon our resources and our time and our treasure. We have limitations as to what we can do. We can't fix all the world's problems. But you are obligated to do the best that you can With what you have. I'm saying this because I don't want anybody to walk out of here thinking that that he's engaged in some kind of a fantasy religion. That's our problem. We see Christianity too much as a fantasy, as something that was not intended to to, to be lived. But it was. It is. It is something intended to be lived. When Jesus taught what he taught, he wasn't just teaching platitudes. He wasn't just spouting philosophy. His intention was for us to put into practice everything that he said. I ain't got but so much money. I can't help everybody. God knows that. God ain't crazy. But what are you doing with what you got? The question is not who can't you help. The question is are you helping those that you can The question is not, who are you not serving? The question is, are you serving those that you can? The point of the parable is not who goes to heaven or who goes to hell. The point of the parable is service. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that our authenticity as Christians is tied to our willingness to serve. Verse 31, when he finally arrives, blazing in beauty, and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me you did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes, sick and in prison, and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom but the sheep to their eternal reward all right as i said when i started it's very easy to walk away from this parable thinking that jesus is giving us a picture of how one enters into heaven and how one finds himself in hell. That's not what he's doing. Any more than the Pauline passage about uh, marriage is really about marriage. I know that's what we've we lifted it up and used it as, you know, wives submit yourselves to your husbands and as, 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 you, as, as the church must submit itself to Christ and all this other kind of stuff. Paul was not talking about marriage. Paul was using marriage as a metaphor. And the metaphor was about mutual submission to one another. It wasn't about marriage at all. But somebody looked at it and said, OK, this will make sure women stay in their place. So here, we're going to lift this up, and we're going to put it that way. In the same way, people lift this up, and they say, OK, well, this is how we're going to decide who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Well if that's what you want this to say, let me ask you something. Have you ever seen somebody hungry that you didn't feed them? Go ahead, answer me. Lie to me in church and tell me you ain't never done it. Go ahead, lie. I'll wait. Lie. Tell me that every hungry person you've ever seen, you fed them. Oh, no, don't don't think you're helping yourself by not lying because you already not fed them. If that's the criteria, you're already on your way to hell. When have you ever known of a sick person that you didn't go visit? You know you you ain't visited every sick person. Have you? Go ahead, lie to me. It's all right. Ain't nobody looking at you. We We ain't filming it. We just recording it. Ain't nobody looking at you. You know you ain't done that. So if that's your litmus test, you're already on your way to hell. Because you haven't lived up to the criteria in every case. 60% don't cut it. And some of y'all be stretching if you say it's 60%. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is not about who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Jesus is using the metaphor of heaven and hell to talk about service and the importance of service. What is it that we should lift out of this? Number one, service to one another is akin to serving Christ. Jesus makes that emphatically clear, and that's why I love the message version of this. He says, whoever you did this for, that was me. You did it for me. He says, whoever you failed to do this for, that was me. You did it to me, or you failed to do it to me. So the first point that we are to get from this parable about service is service to one another is akin to serving Christ. Now, the point of understanding that is this. It is not to bring down our service to Christ. It is to elevate our service to one another. Does that make sense to you? See, if if you understand that serving one another is proportionate or equal, I shouldn't say proportionate, is equal to serving Christ, then every time you fail to serve a brother or a sister, you're failing to serve Christ. It's not bringing down Christian service. It's elevating what you do for one another. And that, that's important, because some of y'all actually have the attitude, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it for so and so. Some of y'all are doing stuff for dead people. I really don't want to talk to so-and-so, but mama would be upset if I didn't talk to him. And so I'ma, I'ma talk to him to serve mama. Mama be happy. You know I'm telling the truth. Some of us are doing stuff for dead folk, and we won't do it for a living Christ. What does that say about us. What does that say about our priorities? That's right, Brother Lionel. What does that say about our priorities? That we put dead parents and dead children and dead relatives over a living Christ. I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever men may say, I see His hand of mercy. I hear His His voice of cheer and every time I need him he's always near he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives today we sing that every Easter every resurrection Sunday he lives but we ain't going to serve the folk that the living Christ told us to serve you don't know what they did to me you're right And you don't know what somebody did to me either. You know, everybody got a story. I I, I was saying to, to the group at noon, your pain is as real to you as my pain is to me. I don't want you trying to diminish my pain, and I know you don't want me to try to diminish your pain. So when you say you don't know what they did to me, you're right, I don't. That's not the point. The point is not what they did to you. The point is, who do you serve? Who do you love? Who is your priority? I don't think even Jesus would want me to do it. Well, you would be wrong on that. But these are the things that I hear you say. And you know how I know you'd be wrong? Cause he said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that use you and persecute you. So, so when, when, when you say, I don't think even Jesus would mind if I don't do it, I'm telling you, you are incorrect on that. Because... The first point of this parable is that service to each other is akin to serving Christ. Second point, service is more important than a creed, than knowledge of scripture, than anything else that you can think of. Jesus gives this parable, and he doesn't talk once about being able to memorize a creed. Ever since I was a child, I've, I, I've known the confession of faith of this church that we now call the confession of renewal. I know it so well I can recite it. You can wake me up at three o'clock in the morning, and I can recite it. We believe in God, the Father, infinite in wisdom, goodness, and love. and Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord and Savior, who for us and our salvation lived and died and rose again. And I could go on and on and on. And none of that means a thing if I'm not willing to serve my brother and sister. If when I get up out of bed after I have recited the creed, I'm not willing to serve a brother or a sister, it means absolutely nothing. Jesus doesn't, doesn't list here anything about knowing creeds or knowing Scripture. You know, some, some of us pride ourselves on the Scripture that we know. It's nice to know Scripture. It's nice to be able to quote it. It's nice that you build yourself up by investing in your knowledge of Scripture because there's going to come a time when you need to pull on that Scripture to help you get through the tough moments of your life. But the measure of your Christianity is not how many Bible verses you know. The measure of your Christianity is in your willingness to serve, because service is love. And so, quoting scripture, memorizing creeds, come to church every time the church door is open. None of that means anything if you're not willing to serve one another. He didn't say every time, I, I come on in because every time the church door was open or in his case the synagogue door was open, you were there. He didn't say you had a 100 percent participation, uh, trophy in synagogue attendance he said when I was hungry you fed me let's be clear I want you in church every Sunday well Reb said no matter if you know he didn't say that at all <laughs> didn't say that at all I want you in church every Sunday. what I'm saying is hundred percent participation in worship counts for nothing if you're not willing to serve one another in love. Let me say this while, while I'm on this point. The serving one another in love, the love part is for you. I have found that folk who need serving don't care whether you love them or not. You know what they care about? That you serve them. We have members of this church who once a month go out and serve homeless people. 175, 200, 250 plates of food every time they go out. I guarantee you, those folk who get those plates ain't asking, do you love me? You know what they're asking? Can I come back and get some more? We have people who go regularly to nursing homes on Saturdays and on Sundays to visit those in the nursing home. I guarantee you, those people who come and participate in the worship experience, the first thing on their mind is not do you love them. They're gratified by the service that you give. So when I say serve one another in love, the love part is for you, not for them. Bible says that 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 King Cyrus woke up from a dream. And the dream told him to send the people, the the exiles of of Judea back home to Jerusalem. And, And he called them together and he said, I had a dream last night. And, 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 and the dream said that I should let y'all go. So anybody who wants to go back, you can go back. I guarantee you, them folk who packed their stuff and started heading back didn't care whether or not Cyrus loved them. You know what they cared about? I get to go home. I get to go back to my native land. People who are in need, they don't always think about the motivation behind what you do. They're simply grateful that you have done it. But you, as the one who is meeting the need, your motivation is extremely important. This idea of doing stuff for folk because I'm duty-bound to do it, it doesn't help you if you do stuff just because you're supposed to. It helps them. They benefit from it. It doesn't help you. God wants everybody to be helped. He wants the one who's receiving the service to be helped. He wants the one who's rendering the service to be helped. Now, I know for a fact the one who receives the service is helped. I want you to be helped in rendering the service. That's why Paul says, if you got to give grudgingly, don't worry about giving. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity. For God loves what? A cheerful giver. Now, I know some friends of mine who say, I don't care whether you're cheerful or not. Just bring it. But I'm telling you that for your benefit, for your benefit, be cheerful in what you do. It helps you to be cheerful in your giving and the giving is more than money the giving is also service so the criteria of authentic Christianity is not knowledge of a creed or knowledge of Scripture it is the level of service that you give to the ones who gave no service Jesus says something significant to them. He says, you're good for nothing. He says, you're good for nothing. Do you want to be labeled by God as being good? For nothing. God has blessed each and every one of us with oodles of potential. How much is an oodle, I don't know. But all of us have oodles of potential. But potential that's never realized remains just that. Potential. Y'all remember grade school science? There is potential energy, and there is kinetic energy. Y'all, y'all remember that? It's the third grade. I got a hand all the way up there in the balcony, yeah. There is potential energy, and there is kinetic energy. Potential energy means that you have the capacity to do something, but you haven't done it yet. The potential has not been realized. And and for the potential to be realized, something has to happen that translates it from potential to kinetic. And generally speaking, that requires a catalyst. Ooh, I'm glad I could use grade school science for something. God has blessed us with oodles of potential. He wants it to be kineticized. He wants it to, to, to go from being potential energy to being realized energy. And for that to happen, we need a catalyst. And the catalyst is Jesus. The catalyst is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The catalyst is our desire to be all that God has called us to be. What does Jesus say early on in in, in his ministry, in in the Sermon on the Mount? He, He says to his disciples, let your light so shine before men. He talks about you are a light of the world. But he says a light that's put under a bushel is no good. That's potential energy. It has the potential to do something. But if it's put under a bushel, that potential is never realized. He says that it has to be kineticized. And he says, let your light shine. What is it that causes the light to shine? It is the indwelling, infilling presence of the Holy Spirit that takes us, lifts us out of self and causes us to see that the world is bigger than just me, my, and ours. And here's the wonderful thing. He says when you let the light shine, when you, when you remove the bushel, when, when, when you put the light on the lampstand and it shines out, he says a wonderful thing happens. He says, number one, people will see your good works. And he says, number two, your father will be glorified. Ain't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't that what the church is really supposed to be about? And isn't it a shame that we have all of this potential? And yet, in this parable, Jesus says that the master says to those who did nothing that you're good for nothing. Not because they couldn't do, but because they didn't want to do. Because they found excuses not to do. So let me ask you, what's your excuse? We've already gone through some of them. I'm hurt. Okay, not a good enough excuse. Everybody's hurt. And that's not to diminish your hurt. It's just to say, that in life you have to learn how to get past your hurts. Or or you know what happens? Your hurts destroy you. One One of the interesting things about growing up in a church is that you come to know the nature of certain people. There are people who I've known since childhood who could do, but didn't do. And they used their hurt as an excuse for not doing. Whether the hurt was physical, or whether the hurt was emotional, whether the hurt was a loss, they used their hurt as an excuse for not doing. There were folk who could come to church who wouldn't come to church, had their name put on the sick and shut in list when they were neither sick nor shut in. You know how I know they weren't shut in? Because the deacons would go serve the Lord's Supper and they weren't there. It's hard to be shut in and they come to bring you your Lord's Supper and you ain't there. Amen. We use hurts as an excuse, then we use anger as an excuse. Jesus tells a different parable about two brothers and one goes away and and when he comes back home the father receives him with open arms and gladly and has a celebration. The other brother finds out about it and the other brother gets mad. So mad that he won't go in and celebrate. So mad that he sits outside the door with his arms folded and his cheeks poked out like a two-year-old, waiting for somebody to ask him what's wrong so he can tell them. Y'all know people like that, pouting all the time, wanting you to ask them what's wrong with them so they can give you a five-minute diatribe about all the things that are wrong with what's going on? Anger is not an excuse. In fact, y'all love Paul so much, right? Paul says, be angry and sin not. And it is a sin to be able to help someone and not do it. It is a sin to be able to serve to meet one's need and refuse to assist. It's a sin. And we should not want to be in that category. The question is not, can you do? The question is, will you do? And if you won't do, how do you justify your relationship with God? Well, the final thing I wanna say about this is that the needs will always be there. Don't ever think that you'll get to the place where after you've helped this person, No more needs will exist. I've helped them so many times before. Yep. And the needs still exist. And if the needs don't exist with that person, they're gonna exist with somebody else. We never get to the place where the needs run out. Jesus is sitting at, 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 at the table of a man named Simon who was a Pharisee, and a woman comes in from behind, and, and she wets his feet with her tears and then wipes his feet dry with the hairs of her head. She breaks open an alabaster box of ointment of perfume and pours it on Jesus to anoint him. And Jesus' own disciples get upset. I don't care what you think about Judas. Judas Judas was one of the twelve. And Judas says, that should never have happened. That ointment could have been sold and the money given to the poor, like he was really concerned about poor folk. Jesus responded this way, the poor you will have with you always. Now, if Jesus said it, I believe it. And so I ain't looking for there to all of a sudden be an elimination of poor folk. We can have all the drives we want for canned food and, 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 and drives to, to give money, to respond to hunger issues, and those are good things to do. When I was hungry, you fed me. Those are good things to do. But don't ever think that you're going to get to the place where you fed the last hungry person. Ain't going to happen. There will always be a need. There's going to always be a hungry person. There's going to always be a sick person. There's going to always be a, a, a naked person. There's going to always be a homeless person. Right now, downtown, uh, business folk downtown are trying, they're, they're meeting to figure out what to do about panhandlers, because panhandlers are interrupting the flow of their business. This was in Business Report yesterday. Y'all need to read Business Report. I don't like Rolf McAllister. There's a local one for you, Terry. I don't like Rolf McAllister, who is the editor-in-chief of business report but he puts out a very good paper you need to read business report they, 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 they have a daily email that comes out and, and, and you need to subscribe it's free doesn't cost you nothing but it tells you about the things that are going on and one of the things that I learned reading yesterday's email is that business folk downtown are meeting trying to figure out what they are gonna do about panhandlers and one of the people who's meeting, the, the manager of the new courtyard down there, I can't remember his name, but I put it in Facebook. Go back and look at my Facebook page because I called him by name. He's quoted in the article as saying, the real problem is not homelessness, but the real problem is, is the fact that these people are asking for money from prospective business people within our community. Do you know why they're asking for money? Because they're homeless. So when you say homelessness is not the problem, that's a lie. Homelessness is exactly the problem. You know what else is the problem? Joblessness. Do you think that Those folk want to be out there with their hands out with plastic cups and cardboard saying, need help, anything you give is appreciated, God bless you. Do you think they wanna do that? Now I know somebody gonna say, well I know somebody who, who has a Mercedes Benz and he hides his Mercedes Benz in the bushes and, and, and he's still out there paying. OK, there are exceptions to everything. But most folk who are homeless are homeless. And they need just like you need. They ain't looking for filet for mignon, but they are looking to eat. And many of them do have children. And a lot of them have been put out of folks' houses. There are a lot of girls out there, I won't even call them women, they're children. 16, 17 year old girls out there. Can't get the things that they need for their own basic cleanliness. And do you think they like being out there with a cook asking for money? You don't think that they would like to be able to take care says, no, homelessness is exactly the issue. Joblessness is exactly the issue. Lack of training for jobs, lack of educational opportunities is exactly the problem. And I don't care what solution they come up with, because what they want to do is move folk along. They don't want to address homelessness. They want to move homeless folk from downtown, where it's interrupting what they're doing. They don't care where the homeless go, as long as they ain't downtown bothering their business. They don't want to address homelessness. They want to just move it along. But, but, But here's the thing, I don't care what solution they come up with, when they get through, they're going to still be homeless people. They're still going to be hungry people. They're going to still be sick people in need of attention. Don't ever think that the need is going to run out. It isn't. And so since the need is not ever going to run out, then you should never think that, the, that you're going to come to the place where you don't have to serve anymore. I am always disturbed when I hear Christian folk talk about, we've done enough. Really? Do you really think that you've done enough? Remember, you serve the one who, when asked the question, how many times is enough to forgive your neighbor? Seven ought to be enough, right? And he said, no, try 70 times seven. It's never enough. I just told you, we serve the one who said the poor you will have with you always. Really? You, you, you really think that we've done enough? Well, let me close by saying this. I'm glad Jesus never thought he did enough. came into the world, walked the dusty trails of Palestine, taught the truths of the gospel in plain language that everybody could understand, miraculously healed the sick, healed the infirmed, raised the dead, fed the hungry with two fish and five loaves of bread. Had so much power that he stood up in the middle of a storm, told the wind to hush, told the waves to lay down and go to sleep. I'm glad he never thought he did enough. Even on the night before he was crucified, he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me sounded like he was leaning in the direction of saying I've done enough but he caught himself and he said nevertheless not my will but your will be done never thought it was enough when they dragged him out of the garden and took him from one judgment hall to another never thought it was enough when they blinded him and Beat him. Never thought it was enough when they stripped him bare and whipped him with a cat of nine tails. Never thought it was enough when they pressed a crown of thorns into his brow. Never thought it was enough when they put a cross on his shoulders and made him carry it out to Calvary. Never thought it was enough when they put spikes in his hands and in his feet. Never thought it was enough when he died. Never thought it was enough when he got up early on a Sunday morning with all power in his head. And you would think that that, that now that you've gotten that far, certainly that's enough. No, it ain't. Because the Bible says right now Right now, he is sitting in heaven at the right hand of God. And every time you mess up. And God says, I'm going to get him. Jesus said, you can't. I've already covered it all. I'm glad. Jesus never thought he had done enough. And I'm convinced that if Jesus never thought he had done enough then surely I ain't got no business saying I've done enough just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me that thou bidst me come to thee O lamb of God I come may we stand together and sing a verse of that hymn and if there's one we invite you to come Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.